This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. So, the only thing left to say is, you win? Order now on the McDonald's app, and you can also get rewards points delivered too, so that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants, 18+, plus. rewards registration required. Points only on menu items. Delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with three for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. Beyond the pitch, beyond the results, we're here to connect fans, getting them to embrace the highs and lows of supporting your club because we're not just fans, we're a team. With two in three football fans having struggled with their mental health, we understand that life off the pitch can present its own challenges. That's why we're committed to ensuring you have the tools to stay connected with your friends and fellow supporters. Take a moment to connect with your mates. A simple text or an open conversation can make a world of difference. And if they don't respond right away, don't hesitate to follow up. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Thank you, David. Right. Okay, we've got a few latecomers just popping in. We'll give them sort of 30 seconds. But thank you all for coming. We're easily quarrant, which is good. Uh, it's the first time we've used this room for an eight an AGM and an SGM. We do have our board meetings here. It, you know, it's, it's trial and error, but it does seem on the face of it so far that this is preferable to other rooms that we've used for similar meetings. Um, first of all, the first thing I'd like to do on behalf of the board is welcome a new co-opted board member, which is Ian Roger, who some of you all know, sitting over here. He, he will be working on a number of issues. He's got experience in marketing and in public relations. It's a welcome addition to the board. So I'd like to say, first of all, welcome to Ian. I think the rest of the board, most of you probably know, and most of them will be talking at some point during the meeting. Okay, the, the agenda, I hope you've all got an agenda. If you haven't, they're, they're with Celia at the back. We've also got copies at the back of the survey results, which went out on email on Thursday evening. And we haven't got enough for everybody, but there are plenty of copies there if you haven't seen it. Celia will be talking about that a bit later. So the first thing on the agenda is an over overview from the board on progress since the last SGM, or in fact since the AGM, which was, uh, was three months ago. Now item two is on specific issues, so we'll, we'll, we'll come back to the specific issues that were voted on at the AGM. One, one area I would like to highlight since we last met, which came up a bit left field, we weren't expecting it, there wasn't much on it, was the revival of the overseas game, Game 39 concept. It would be fair to say that when the, that story got leaked to the press by whoever, the feedback that we got, the feedback on social media, the feedback was almost unanimous that supporters don't want to see that, they don't want to see one game a season played abroad or an extra game played abroad. It was interesting that a number of overseas supporters from the US and from Europe, contacted us to say they didn't want to see it either for the simple reason of competitive integrity. It, it affects the, it makes the league less equal. It also affects fans because they can't go to every game. And it also, we, we sense there'd be a sense of cherry picking where certain games were, were more attractive than others. So we, we put out a statement and the statement's fine and well. That's not going to change anything. But the other night, 
were at a meeting with other Premier League trusts. There were 14 different trusts representing Premier League clubs. There is going to be a concerted campaign on Game 39 starting in a couple of weeks when each uh, trust writes to their club, gets feedback from their club on what their position is. A lot of them will fudge it, I suspect. And then we work about taking it forward with the Premier League, with the FA, with UEFA and with FIFA because they will put... They were all a bit nervous about it, or seem to be a bit nervous about it. My sense is it won't happen overnight, but it's something they're preparing the ground for. And if this doesn't happen, they'll do something stupid like play the whole League Cup last 16 abroad or something like that. So we do, we do need to put some sort of markers in the ground on this one. So that's game 39. Um, the other, I think, overview issue before we move on to specific issues is, is media coverage. And I'd like to hand over to our man with the headphones... <coughs> David Chidgey. I am listening. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, to be sh you know, to put it shortly, we, we've had a, an astonishing run, I think, uh, press and media-wise, in the last six months, and uh, I think the first instigator of that was the uh, the safe safe standing survey that we had that we released back in June, uh, where we had something like 96% of the the membership who replied in favour of it, and we put a release out. And the press took a, a pick, picked it up and ran with it. But since then, you know, we've been... I think the key thing is, is that, you know, clearly for a lot of events, like the 39th game, we have to be very, very reactive and get things out quickly. And I think we've done very, very well at doing that. Uh, but I think because of the relationships that we've built up with the press and media over the last two years or since we've been going, they're now almost... I mean, they're, they're, they seem to be far more receptive. When we put something out, they're much more happy to put something in and run with it. But I think what's most pleasing, and I, I think this was emphasized in the last uh, two or three weeks when we had the atmosphere issue that came to light, we got a lot of stuff out there quickly. We did a lot of radio and TV stuff. We got a lot of stuff printed in the, in the online and the, and the print media. And that meant that when we released the survey results this week, I think it was Thursday, wasn't it? Wednesday, Thursday. You know, the, the media as a whole were incredibly, incredibly receptive to put it in. But not only that, I think we're now in a position where we can actually shape the agenda and, you know, I, I used to do this, you know, for a living about a million years ago, and that's really hard to do. You know, it's easy to send out a press release to people and hope that they might put something in. But when you can actually, you know, put something out and really try and steer them to where you want them to go, and then they pick that up and they follow it, it's brilliant. So, you know, Friday morning we were seeing headlines everywhere saying, you know, a couple of weeks ago Jose moans about the atmosphere. This week the, the Trust put out a survey, and they're backing clearly safe standing as a solution to that. So... I mean, I'm personally delighted, but I think it's actually a reflection on the efforts that not only the board have made in the last two years, but actually, more importantly, when you, do, when you fill in a survey and you respond to that, that is what drives it. So when we put that out, it's you that they're actually talking about. And, and without the two of them happening, we wouldn't get that. So I think everybody needs a pat on the back, basically, for that. Thanks, Chidge. So in terms of updates on progress and actions, some of these merge in a bit, so we'll, we'll see how we go. And we're going to hand these around different board members. The first one is, is ticketing. Now, we did a survey last year on ticketing, and we got 200 responses. It was also in last year's general survey, this year's general survey. We've benchmarked how other Premier League clubs in, do ticketing in terms of... Um, you know, cheaper tickets for youngsters, loyalty points, the way tickets are put on sale, proportion between season ticket holders and members, all these issues, all of which are hot issues for Chelsea supporters, 
are hot issues for other clubs. What's interesting, in fact, is that Chelsea are actually better and fairer than a lot of other clubs in terms of the way, the way that they do things. But they're not. No one is saying that they're perfect. So we've done quite a lot of thinking on this. There was a fans forum today which discussed ticketing. We put some material into that. We've also put a submission into the club, which is fairly similar to what went to the fans forum. We did hope to have that document to discuss at this meeting before taking it to the club, but the club told us a couple of weeks ago that, that the fans forum this morning was the last time that they were prepared to consider ticketing issues. So the fans forum was the final issue, their final consultation, which is fair enough. We just hadn't worked that one through, so we had to send them something earlier in the week. But it builds on what you fed back to us and what we found from other clubs. It is on the website. Um, it's no, there'll be no surprises there. It does identify that there are areas that we will never satisfy everybody. Season ticket holders have a very different view on the 60-40 split to members, and you'd expect that because people have, are, are coming from, from different angles. But if you haven't had a chance to read it, I'd you know read it, email us if you've got any questions. We are, we, we, Cliff will talk about this a bit later, we are having another session with the club in a couple of weeks, and we will get the opportunity to talk about this, this further. But it's obviously a hot issue. You know, uh, Neil and David are going to talk about Jose Mourinho's comments in a bit and the bit stuff about atmosphere. But obviously ticketing, especially as regards young supporters, is linked to that. But we are, we are on it. As, as David said, it's your survey responses that give us the ammunition to go to the club, to go to the media, to say this is what our supporters think and this is what we think you can do to, sort of, to overcome the, the concerns. So... In terms of, I mean, if anyone's got any questions, sorry, I should have made this clear. We've got, a, there is a separate point for questions and motions from members. Now, we didn't get any motions, but we'll come to questions in a bit. If anyone's got anything specific now, feel free to raise it, but I'd rather cover them in a sort of general discussion a bit further down the agenda, if that's okay. Right, the, the next issue, obviously, is the campaign to remain at Stamford Bridge. We've had the Twickenham issue, and I'd like David Johnson who's going to come and talk to us on that issue. David? Sorry. I think I've been chosen to talk about the Twickenham issue because I live in Twickenham. <laughs> <laughs> Not only that, David. And uh, I understand, uh, my understanding of it is um, Chelsea have approached the club. You've all read it in the press. And... Um, approached the uh, England um, rugby people apparently and uh, I think it's all mm. progressing nicely which is good news for everybody who wants to stay at Stamford Bridge um, I know when um, Ken Bates was here there was a lot of talk about Chelsea moving to Twickenham and um, <laughs> I think um most people are aware that um, when Bates was here, there was some talk about Chelsea moving to Twickenham, and um, it didn't happen, but I think uh, things have changed now. I'm not sure that all the residents are that uh, happy about it or convinced. I believe uh, Vince Cable has uh, made noises about it. He lives on the street between uh, Twickenham Stadium and uh, the station, which... Um, <laughs> And I, if we do move there, I'll make a point of selling the fanzines right outside his house. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, you know, it can only be good news for 
anybody who wants to stay at Stanford Bridge, and I think Chelsea have got the money to pay them off now. And um, I think it's probable, and don't put any money on it, but I think Chelsea might be moving there in about um, 2016 for nearly three years while we develop Stanford Bridge. But I didn't tell you that. <laughs> and um, Well, that's about it. Thanks, David. I mean, that's the main issue in terms of the staying at Stamford Bridge that's come up since our last meeting. I mean, we're still waiting for the results of the Stamford Bridge study, which we know is going on or has gone on, and at some point the club will communicate that to supporters. There were stories that was going to happen in October. It clearly hasn't. And as David said, the only thing that's actually happened in the last three months is... <laughs> is is that we well we are in fact top of the league I'm not sure we were at the SGM because that was that was the day before the uh, season started so in fact we weren't top of the league is that a question or a statement take, take it as you like but you know hopefully by the time we have our next SGM which I guess will be the end of will be in February we will be in a position that more will have been said and obviously it's this is the fundamental issue for us and as a trust board, we have to respond quickly to whatever the club come out with. We know that. We're just waiting to see what happens. But thank you, David, for, for that. The next issue is, you know, it came out in the, in the um, survey. It came out in the um, AGM motions. It's come out in what, in what Joe Say has said. It's, it's the issues around atmosphere and his comments. I'll hand over to Neil Beard, our, our vice chair. So atmosphere has been the thing that's been uh, an issue for a very long time, uh, certainly as long as I've been going to Chelsea in the last 20 years. Um, difficult thing, you can't change it very easily. Um, what I would say is that we've been speaking to the club to, at a very high level um, and the club are very interested in what we're talking about, not just about what Jose said a couple of weeks ago. Beyond that, we've been talking to the club at a very high level and, and before that. So for me, thing that matters most as a supporter um, and as part of the trust and I think the trust can make a big difference about this thing as well really I think um, we should all think about what we can do to make atmosphere better um, sorry you can't hear me okay <laughs> sorry um, Sorry, I, I didn't realise I was so quiet. Um, so, we, as I say, um, myself, uh, Dave Johnson and Ian Roger have been working with the club to uh, take forward the ideas about atmosphere. And these are not new ideas. These are things that have been going on for around a long, long time. I've, I've been sporting Jefferson for a long time. Uh, ten years ago, we had the 10-point uh, plan, the uh, Shed 100, Shed 50, um, all those things not different to what we're talking about now yeah we know what the things are that make make the atmosphere different which is getting the right people together getting the right people in the right places making it affordable for those people and allowing them to support their club without being taken out by stewards and people that want to close them down so we've told the club that we have an atmosphere that we need to get forward um, and I hope we will go forward and, and make it better In terms of specifically around um, the 
comments made by Jose Mourinho. Hand, hand over to David, who has a view on this. Uh, Jose Mourinho was right. The atmosphere at Stamford Bridge has been terrible. He's come from clubs in countries where, and I'm not, uh, no disrespect to anybody here, but, you know, in general, those supporters know how to support a team. At Chelsea, it's not far, it's not much different from every other Premier League club whereby the atmosphere has been stifled by the Taylor Report, stewards, and a, uh, you know, a combination of things. But the good thing about what Jose Mourinho said was it's kicked the club into gear as regards finding a solution to it. The players want an atmosphere. Jose Mourinho wants an atmosphere. Mr Abramovich wants an atmosphere. And I'm sure that every last person in this room wants an atmosphere as well. And um, as Neil said, Ian... Neil and myself been talking to Chelsea to try and find some solutions and um, I've got to say um, myself and Neil have been holding meetings with Chelsea Football Club for the past 20 years and um, you know going back to the days of uh, Ken Bates and uh, the past couple of meetings we've had with them have been the best meetings we've ever had with Chelsea and um, unfortunately, we're not at liberty to give out further details, but the fact is the club is talking to Ian, myself and Neil as representatives of Chelsea Supporters Trust, and they're talking to other supporters, bodies, groups and representatives, which can only be a good thing. And I can confirm, reaffirm what Neil said, that um, the club are trying to make positive strides. And um, Mourinho can only be, well, he deserves a pat on the back for bringing it to everybody's attention. And the good thing about it was, as Tim will probably say, Chelsea Sports Trust received some really good um, coverage in the press. And also we got the, the trust as a whole got a pat on the back from the other trusts. Um, at the way we handled the situation. Rather than being um, laughed at by every other Premier League club, they've been um, in awe of the way Chelsea Sports Trust has handled it and taken it forward and highlighted the issues that affect not only the crowd at Stamford Bridge but other every other Premier League club. So, thank you, Jose. <laughs> I mean, it, it is interesting. I'll come later. I attended a meeting on Thursday with other Premier League trusts. They've all got the same issue. The fact is that Jose Mourinho has highlighted it. There is not a Premier League club, possibly Crystal Palace, that doesn't have an, atmos uh, an issue about atmosphere. Talking on Thursday to people from Liverpool, from Manchester United, from Arsenal, they've got exactly the same issue. The difference was by Jose highlighting it and by making it, you know, being coming clear in the media the issues about ticket pricing for young people, around safe standing, around overzealous stewarding in the ground, all of these type of issues. They don't just happen at Chelsea. They do happen elsewhere. So it, it, it's helped us. I think Joseph making the comments has helped us. It's sort of ignited the debate at Chelsea. But it's also ignited the debate elsewhere because the media covered it. And it's, it's clear that, as I say, apart from possibly Crystal Palace, every other club in the Premier League has an, an issue. You know, I, I made the point on 
I'm, I'm, I can't remember who I was talking to, but one, one radio interview, that you, you went to Anfield in the 70s or 80s, and it was noisy from start to finish. It certainly wasn't when we played there two weeks ago. No one could argue. For most of the game, the cop was extremely quiet. So it isn't just us. The Stretford Ends a pale shadow of 40 years ago. So, you know, things have changed. And at least it's now in the agenda. And I think clubs realise they need to do something about it. I think the Premier League should realise they need to do something. Because if they're talking about the brand and the unique product, then full ground with people making a noise has surely got to be better than non-full ground People aren't making a noise. So, anyway, we shall see where we go, but there's definitely more mileage on that. But I think what's happened at Chelsea has kick-started a national debate, so I'm extremely pleased about that. OK, the next issue... Sorry, but yeah. Just yeah. yeah. Um, I'm an old one. I make more noise than most of the people yeah. around me. But I think it's significant, isn't it? The phrase that comes to mind is West Ham give us a song. Yeah. <laughs> And yeah. uh, the fact that you know there seems to be an awful lot of fluid taking place there. Yep. And it doesn't exactly add to the atmosphere. I mean, they're almost focused. What? Is, is that? Is that not something that the club can do? Um, by increasing the allocation, and you are not hearing that. I think you'll find um, that the uh, club are looking to address that uh, situation. They know about it. They're aware about it. But one of the um, things that was pointed out to us when we're in our conversations with the club is that people people have heard about the English Premier League and don't kill me brand and they a lot of people do come to English football um, and expect to be in to hear an atmosphere not necessarily take part but to, to hear it I agree with you but the You've got to um, you've got to have a bit of faith in the club that they're trying to address the situation and um, things might change. Sorry, I, I do agree with what you're saying. We do get a lot of day trippers at Stamford Bridge who are not prepared to contribute to the atmosphere, but we've still got 22,000 season ticket holders who go week in, week out. So if, if a few more of them could get off their bums and sing a bit, then, then it would be cured at a stroke. Exactly, exactly. So... So we, we've got a lot of eels, and as Tim and Dave said, it's, it's prevalent at other Premier League clubs, but it's still in our hands to do something about it. We have got a mic for the floor. If people want we'll take the question there, but if we can pass the mic around without tripping anybody up and creating a health and safety hazard. Yep. Thanks. Yeah, yep. okay. Sorry about um, this. We have a length. Issue, but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'll rephrase that. <laughs> uh, speaking personally, yeah. Sorry. Speaking uh, as. <laughs> well, that was speaking as shed up a man. I'm normally. Do you want to go, sir? Yeah. Speaking as shed up a man, I am normally in the. So I'm in the shed upper normally. Today I was in the west upper, unfortunately. But I've been thinking about this. There's one thing it strikes me, because there's a lot of you know, difficult issues to resolve with the club. But there is one area that 
that we should focus on, I think, and that's the West Lower, because of the grounds that make an atmosphere, and when you're at an away game and you hear it, it's because the stuff down the side is making noise as well. We don't get much of that at Chelsea. We never get anything off the East Upper, really not much off the West Upper, none of the corporates down the middle, so it's only going to be the lower tiers. And I think if we can do something to boost the West Lower, it actually would help um, the, the atmosphere at Chelsea, and it's not something that needs the club's cooperation. But I just think it's like a campaign or something, a bit that's been done with a shed, but just really get people involved and switched on to making more noise down the side of the pitch because it's something we've always been rubbish at since the benches went, and I used to go on the benches. Right, so I've been in the West Lower since they reopened the stand as a season ticket holder, and it's definitely noticeable that the atmosphere's kind of gone down it's really gone down over the years, and it's because there's more tourists. Uh, we might have um, uh, um, a length issue of another type now, because we're going to give the microphone to Wayne. <laughs> <laughs> if anyone wants to pop out for a drink, sorry, sorry, Wayne. Sorry. <laughs> Thank you. No, uh, all, I, all I'd like to say about it, really, is that... Yeah, is that the, the, the atmosphere is not great because we're all a bit older you know we're not we're, if, if you're comparing our crowds to to those in Germany and other countries the fans are a lot younger and the football is a lot cheaper and I take issue with Jose as well because I, I find the Bundesliga unwatchable because most of the fans there sit there in silence apart from what I think are these mindless idiots behind the goals waving their flags that are not the slightest bit interested in the game they just, all they do is sing from the first moment to the last, regardless of what is happening on the pitch. And English fans tend to go with the flow of the game, yeah? Well, here's an idea, Jose, yeah? Let's go for three or four or five goals when you go 2-0 up against 10 men, yeah? Because there was nothing for me to shout about today. Yeah, I'm also nearly 60. I mean, I think I've sort of grown up out of that. Yeah, and I do shout when it really matters, when there's a really big game. Yeah, but I think we need to just get real. And I think Jose needs to be put in his place because that, that was totally out of order, what he said. We, we, the, trust, the trust cannot get in, you know, what the team does on the pitch, we cannot influence, unfortunately. So I, t I take your point, though, Wayne. We got Charles. Charles. Yeah, I, I, I've got... Two perspectives. One, because I've got a season ticket in the East Upper where I've sat for years, but equally, I equally sit as, as much in the Matthew Harding Lower. So you get complete contrast. What I can safely say, and the, obviously the East Upper uh, it, is not renowned, should I say, for its atmosphere, but what I would say is there were very little people who sat around me, given I've had the seat for about 18, 19 years, who are actually the same people there, and they're certainly not there every week. So one of the actual problems actually is, is not because they actually are not season ticket seats, because they are. It's the seats that are being reused by, the, by, the season, by season ticket people selling their tickets on, and people on a match basis. So inevitably, I see much more tourists, and they don't have a clue. Now often about what, what, what people are. So that makes it a lot worse. So I think actually it's actually quite difficult for the club, and unless they say a season tickets, if you've got an address overseas, you put them into one part portion of the ground, 
but it's actually quite practically difficult to do something about it. On that point, and there's some very relevant um, issues being brought up here, Can I? would it be possible just to have a quick show of hands, right? Who would be prepared to move to an atmosphere section? Well, that's about what? Three quarters of you? Nearly half to three quarters. That's statistically accurate, Celia. Yeah. It's, it's indicative. I've got I seem to have both mics for some reason. Anyway, uh, no longer have a length issue then. Um, okay, we can take more questions on, on this, and I think there'll be when we get to the, the general questions section in a minute. There are some good points. You make a good point about the West. Now, I've never really thought about that, but it is down the side that would make a difference. I mean, it might be worth pointing yeah. out that in all the surveys that we've yeah. done, it's been quite clear what the feedback has been yeah. about what we do about the atmosphere. Well, in, in the surveys, in, you know, in thinking that we've done, there are issues about pricing, about young people, about safe standing, about stewarding, which we've, we've covered. But they, they on themselves won't, won't make all the difference. And I think there are issues... There's, to be honest, I sit in the Matthew Harding Upper Block 9, which is notoriously quiet. Today was probably the loudest it's been yeah. since the Champions League semi-final. It was actually, there were people singing all through the first half, and we never get that. I think at this juncture, I ought to say that that might well be due with the fact that a certain chairman of the Supporters Trust was in the media saying that he thought that actually the atmosphere would be much better this Saturday. So I think, actually, Tim, it's down to you for that. I, I think it's actually down to the manager, but anyway. OK, moving on, the next item... We said that we would buy a CPO share, and I'd hand over to Teresa, who can talk about that. Hello there. Um, we have the share here. It was uh, presented to the Trust uh, by Tommy Baldwin at halftime today. This is your share. Anybody who's in this room tonight actually owns a part of that share. And going forward, if any decisions need to be taken with regard to CPO, that is another proposal is put by the club to CPO, we will uh, have a vote, a democratic one person or one member, one vote, vote, and the majority verdict will decide which way we will vote at any meeting. If you would like to have your photo taken with your share after the meeting, um, please do, because as I said, it's your share. Thank you very much, Teresa. I think in terms of the other motions that were passed, things like safe standing, which have been wrapped, touched on and wrapped up in, in other things that we've done. Now, because we've put a lot of effort into, into ticketing, into atmosphere, we've had a couple of curveballs coming in around the Game 39 overseas game. We have, we have made some progress on engagements. We, there's areas we do need to do more work. We need to do more work with um, engagement with the, with the council, um, with MPs and to try and get on the safety advisory group, all of which are targets for this year. But our focus in the first three months has very much been on, on ticketing and, and, and sort of related issues. But in terms of engagement, some of it, three of us went to a meeting with, uh, with Graham Smith and the club a couple of weeks ago, and Cliff will now talk about what came out of that. Short one from me, really, about it. It was um, with Ron Gourlay moving on, it kind of knocked us back, believe it or not, slightly because uh, Gourlay had always been supportive of the uh, Chelsea Supporters Trust and had even uh, sort of um, 
um, instigated meetings with us and called us in, and we'd be, we'd uh, been in there on several occasions to, to meet with him and the rest of the Chelsea board. Um, but it was heartening to know that then recently Graham Smith, uh, who's who's uh, one of the management uh, people at Chelsea, called us in, and Tim, I, Tim, me, and Dave had a meeting in, with him quite recently, and he's also asked us to come in again in the next few weeks to meet with the rest of the board. So we are still in there with the club, because um, from the outset of the trust, we've always said that we want to work with the club where we can, rather than against them. Obviously, there'll be times when we don't agree with uh, stuff they do, but for the main part, we hope we can get by that and, and, and work hand-in-hand hand with them. Um, so, as I say, from a trust point of view, um, Ron Gourlay was quite good, and from a safe standing point of view as well, he was one of the main supporters of having safe standing at Stamford Bridge or at Chelsea ground in the future, believe it or not. So, hopefully, with, with whoever comes in to replace Ron on a long-term basis, uh, they will also be in support of it. But... We are still in with the club. They're still contacting us to come in and see them. And uh, so from, from our point of view, that's a good thing. Thanks very much, Cliff. Yeah, we're seeing the club specifically on the results of the survey. And this is a meeting that they've asked for. They call it like an annual review. But obviously, it does give us the chance to raise other issues w while we're in with them. Um, quickly, the other key engagement, uh, I've touched on it already, work meetings with other Premier League trusts. There are, there are issues, as most of you know, the allocation for the League Cup for Derby. The League Cup allocation has been cut to 10%. We wrote a letter to the Football League, as indeed did the Chelsea supporters group. We got an identical, very bland response. We are following it up because the letter said that they had got done with the agreement of the Premier League, and we're trying to understand whether that was the Premier League acting with the club's approval, you know, the, the 20 members of the Premier League, or not, and then we'll see where we go with that. Because... A concern, although the Football Association said to a meeting I was at in July that the, the FA had no plans to reduce the FA Cup allocation 15% to 10%, you can see where this might go. And we're trying to nail down the FA. Um, the chairman of the Arsenal Trust works in football. He knows people at the FA. We're going to try and get another meeting with them before Christmas where we can discuss this specific issue. Because it is a, you know, there is nothing better... And when, when we take five, 6,000 away to a ground for an FA Cup, for anyone who went to Leeds, anyone who went to Derby in the Cup last year, other games, it's fantastic. Now, just because the allocation's cut to 10% doesn't mean it, it can't be more, but it has to be with the approval of both clubs and the police as opposed to being the, being the default. Derby obviously think they can sell the other tickets, so we'll have less people. It won't be as good an atmosphere, and that, that's a great shame. To my mind... The League Cup is important, but the FA Cup, because of its heritage, is probably more important. And, you know, although the FA say nothing's going to change, I don't trust them, and I don't know many other people in my position who do. So we are keeping an active eye on that one because we really are quite concerned about that. But we'll see, we'll see where we go. Well, no, the, no, no that, apparently that was, that was nothing to do with it, but, you know. Yeah? Hang on, hand over to Cliff. It does seem a, a strange decision from the Football League when you consider that uh, League Cup games are notoriously badly attended. So um, to sort of slash the allocation for, for away fans who, who might travel in numbers to, to grounds does seem a very odd decision. And as Tim says, with the FA maybe considering reducing allocations for away fans for FA Cup games in the future, I think a, a lot of it may be to do with costings because... Um, 
obviously with larger allocations being taken to FA Cup and League Cup games as in the past, policing costs and stewarding costs have gone up. So there may be a, ver a cost issue that the Cubs are considering rather than anything else with this. Thanks very much. So we're, we're on to that one. Um, you hear strange stories that related to the game 39, as I said. You see stuff about possibly League Cup games being played overseas. Uh, an expanded Asia tournament, something like that, I can see that that might happen. But what we're trying to do as a group of Premier League trusts is, is keep close to the Premier League, the FA and the Football League and just make sure that if stuff's going on that we're consulted, if we become aware of something that we don't agree with, we will do whatever we can to fight it. It's, it's not easy taking these people on because the FA have prevaricated since 1863, the Football League since 1888 and the Premier League since 1992. But at least by working with other clubs, we've got more chance of doing something than doing it just, just, just as Chelsea. Okay, so that's key engagements. The next one is the survey, which we'll, Celia will come and talk about. Now, we, we've, this is the second year we've done the survey. She'll talk, talk about the responses. But I, I just have to say, from my point of view, the amount of work she had to do to not only analyse this year's results, but compare them with last year's results and get the report out to people, it should not be underestimated. So I'd like to say thank, thank you to Celia. And do you want me to vacate my chair? No, no, it's fine. Okay. okay. Don't take any pictures of me in my glasses. <laughs> <laughs> Jules, did you hear that? No, Jules didn't hear that. <laughs> okay. Um, the second annual survey um, was sent out in... Uh, July and August this, this year, and it's the second survey, and it's, we really do use it to, as guidance for, for what really matters to our supporters. It's really, really in, important. It's what drives us as a board, um, is your opinion. So it was sent out to um, 1,650 trust members, and um, about 40% responded, which I think, given that that's the holiday period, is, is not too bad. Um, hopefully next year we'll, we'll send it out a little earlier, the end of this season perhaps, when more people are around. So the things that we asked about were about <coughs> Stamford Bridge, club administration, ticket prices and availability, the atmosphere, our on-field performance, um, this year we introduced a section for overseas members and we had um, actually a third of them of the respondents to the survey this year were from overseas. Um, and also we put in a quest some questions this year about communication and interaction with Chelsea supporters group, uh, trust. So the majority of responses were similar to last year. So the future of Stamford Bridge, we changed the options a little bit after some feedback from people. Um, so we, we changed them to never in the vicinity, within three miles, any available site. But basically 60% of you want to stay in the area, which includes 28% who say never we, we should never move. Ticket prices and access to tickets, the same levels of, <laughs> I was gonna say satisfaction, but probably dissatisfaction. Access to tickets for overseas supporters, over 75% of the people that responded were satisfied with, with the access that they get. Um, we asked about atmosphere, 
And again, the level of dissatisfaction was round about the same as before. Um, people are, are satisfied with, with away, sat, uh, the atmosphere at away games, but every other question, um, it was below satisfied. Um, and I would say that the demographics of it, apart from the overseas supporters, there were more this year, age, location, attendance, types of tickets that people have, was around the same as last year. So we did have, we did send it out to a larger group than last year, but, but things have more or less stayed the same. The main differences are with regard to club administration. So, sorry, <laughs> it's only got little arms. <laughs> so um, everyone's still less than satisfied in most respects about the way that the club is run. But there really is a huge improvement in the ratings from last year. So now, just under a third think that the club values matchday supporters, um, agree that the club's policy with, with the revolving door for managers has been a factor in success, and that there's a long-term vision for the club. So if you compare, so a third, if you compare that to last year, that was 18, 15, and 10%. So things have improved. Less than a quarter think that the club is in touch with supporters. But again, last year it was only 5% of you that thought that. So I think that um, reappointing Jose has obviously made a, and getting rid of Benitez, I'm not sure, you know, com which, which combination <laughs> has, made, has made a huge difference. And similarly, really, I think the same kind of causing factors um, the on-pitch performance, 89% said that they were satisfied or very satisfied with our performance last year compared to 43% um, for the survey before. So the key issues, and we've probably talked about these a little already, ticket prices are still rated as the most important issue. Um, and that's actually jointly with on-pitch success this year. So I guess we're all ramping up to win a bit of silverware this year, hopefully. Atmosphere is, is second in terms of what's most important to, to all of you this year. Uh, last year it was club administration. So again, things we have different priorities. For both years, um, ticket prices and the development of young players got the most votes overall. So... Other concerns, which we didn't write down, so we asked people to, to mention anything else that concerned them, um, included the outside perception of the club, the redevelopment of Stamford Bridge, safe standing, which is obviously very foremost in people's minds after the survey and the campaign last year, and ticket pricing for young supporters. We invited suggestions about atmosphere, and top of the list was safe standing, which again, I think is, is foremost in people's minds. Moving away supporters from the shed, segregating tourists, which we've just talked about, and I'd like to add my two pennyworth, which is I know Thomas Cook sell, sell their packages for, for tourists to, to, into West Lower. So that would probably explain why the atmosphere isn't great there. And it's not so much the tourists, it's just that everyone gets split up, I think. Ticket price reduction overall, people think, would improve the atmosphere. 
extending the upper age and availability of young persons tickets and um, a singing section back to the shed and also stewarding. One of the things that people um, debated last year was, was the away game subsidies, which we got from courtesy of the TV monies and um, also from Roman's deep, deep pockets. So I know there's been debate about whether it should be for travel or tickets, so we asked the question. And the largest number of, of um, members said that they think the club has got, the, got it about right. So that's about a third of you think that the club has the mix around about right. 18% more want more on away travel and 22% want more on tickets. There were also 3% thought that it could be spent on something else. And their suggestions were a, a general reduction across the board in ticket prices, funding more young persons tickets, um, and also subsidising official support of club travel, because that would provide more benefit for those that live live outside of London. Because I think that's been one of the one of the issues. There were some new issues thrown up this year. Um, club European travels. Quite a few people commented about that that they felt there was a lack of support, the availability of it, the timings for bookings, the amount of information you got, and plus it was very expensive. So that that didn't really register last year, but this year it seems to have have come up with quite a few people. People talked about the categorised pricing and the effect that it has on away ticket pricing. So when we go to Arsenal, for instance, or QPR, we pay top dollar every time. But we do the same, so um, people commented on that. Overseas memberships were very, very um, fixated on, on their, their membership, which costs, I think, about £100 a year. No longer includes Chelsea TV in the package. Um, they felt that that was a disincentive to becoming a true blue member, given that very few of them would actually come and visit the bridge. We got a lot of overseas members complaining about the difficulty of amassing loyalty points. But most games, as we know, most games are not sold on loyalty points. And um, if you're a member of a, an official supporter club overseas, you only need a small number, I think it's around five loyalty points, to attend the so-called big games. Um, and you can get five just by renewing your True Blue membership before the beginning of the season. So it's obviously an issue for them, but... There's also been some changes in the criteria for the supporter clubs for overseas um, people, which make it less worthwhile for the overseas supporters. And I think that, plus the loss of Chelsea TV, as part of the membership package means that many supporters are feeling now that it's not worth buying True Blue membership. Now, obviously, as a, as a, as a supporters trust, we don't, we're agnostic about it, but I would have thought that that should be a worry for the club in that if they've got them as, as members, they've got them on their database and they can find out what they like and sell them more, whatever they sell them. So we also asked some questions about uh, communications with, with and from the supporters' trust. And after our first full year, we got a very pleasing response from you all, 
saying that, uh, with 85% of you saying that the level of communication is about right, so thank you for that. Around just under 20% attend meetings, either regularly or from time to time. And location of the, and timing are the main reasons that people don't attend or don't attend as often as they like. Um, although a third of those said that they, they got all the information that they needed through our communications anyway. So we would obviously welcome suggestions about when is the best time for meetings from, from yourselves and, and for, for people that are not attending. Um, but we feel that probably after matches is, is the best time, but maybe it's not. Hopefully the Finbar Arms will remain the venue with the free popcorn. Yes, and I I've got it on my, see, I've got it on here. And, good <laughs> and, and it's got good Wi-Fi, so people not attending the match can actually participate remotely. So just to thank you again so much for participating in the survey. It really, really is very important. And um, there'll be another one, hopefully, at the end of the season. Right. We're now moving on to questions. If anyone's got any specific questions on the survey, they want to ask them while Celia's up here. Sorry, yeah. Um, if not, Chidja, we had any email questions in? No, nope, okay. In that case... Sorry, I'll just say... As you know, the, fi the final item on the agenda is a Q&A &A with Rick Glanville, who I think is in the, the far corner over there. Uh, skulking. We have had questions in advance, but if you've got any other questions to put, then feel free to raise them when we get to that. We've now got 10 or 15 minutes to take sort of open questions from the floor. Now, we've talked about atmosphere, so I'd prefer initially to go on to questions on other topics. And if we come back to atmosphere afterwards, if we have time, then that's fine. But... Anything you've got in terms of what the Trust's doing or what we're not doing, what we're prioritising or what we're not prioritising, or stuff that we've done, whether we've done it well or not done well, now it, it, it is your chance to, to comment. But wait until Dave gives it away. Yeah. Hi. Hi, is that working? Yeah. Speak yeah, up. Sorry, yeah. speak up. Okay. Um, just going back on the on the match 39, uh, Tim. Um, when w last week, when the club when the club announced their um, financial report, somebody from the club had obviously given some form of briefing to certain to, to some journalists because there was a, there was a quite a f quite a few of identical uh, stories in all papers. You know, fairly positive. You know, greater stability at the club, possible redevelopment of Stamford Bridge. But there was a couple of there was a couple of articles there that also said that somebody from the club had sanctioned Scudamore about the about match for about game thirty nine. So it's obviously if if that's the case, and it may not be, if that's the case that the club is actively looking for game thirty nine, we're we're in a bit of we're we're actually seem to be working against them. But I mean that yep. that's that's that obviously not such a bad thing. But do you know yourselves and, and of of what the clubs that actual club stances on that when we see the club in two weeks we will ask them that specific question we will be also formally writing to them as what every other supporters organization you know every club in the premier league will get written to my understanding is that the main drivers behind this are swansea and west ham 
Right. Because they, they feel that they're missing out. They don't have the lucrative pre-season tours. They don't have the support abroad. And it's being driven by the, no disrespect, but sort of middle to lower tiers of, of the Premier League. And it's not the Chelsea's, the United's, the Liverpool's and the Arsenal's that, and City that are doing it. I did see one comment in the paper. I, but we will ask the direct question. I don't expect we'll get a direct answer. But my understanding from talking to people who are involved in national supporters' organisations is that it is Swansea and West Ham who are driving it because they want to, to raise their overseas revenue. But it is a good question, and we will ask that point. Yeah. Okay. Right. <laughs> Any other... Wayne. Uh, yeah, sorry, I'm back again, yeah. I just, uh, I just want to ask about um, what the membership is at the moment uh, compared to the last time we had a meeting, which was, what, about a couple of months ago? So, what? How many? I, I couldn't tell you what the, the change has been, Wayne. We're, we're around 1,700 members now, I think. Um, we'd like more. And, and that, yes, that, that, yeah, but... Yeah, but so we've probably had a couple of hundred since last time. But we—it's not just about members; it's also about reaching social media. I know we want—we want members. We obviously want as many members as we can. I think, if I was honest, we—we—we we, we need to do more work to get more members. We also need to get people like you, who are you know actively—you know—you're coming to meetings to get you to act as ambassadors for the trust. So it can't just be the eleven of us. I, I'd like to have more members, but I don't think. Sort of less than two years after our startup, starting from nowhere, to have sort of 1,700 members, eight and a half thousand on Twitter, whatever it is, and a couple of thousand on Facebook. Yeah, that is um, individual paid-up yeah. members, and that yeah. doesn't account of doesn't take into account the affiliated supporters yeah. Um, yeah. groups yeah. and the non-paying yeah. members. I just, I just feel, I just feel that we really need to all be together. Um, and if we, you know, if we can find a way to get CSG into the, into the group and sort of satisfy, you know, their needs as well, because they've been around for a long time and have also done a lot of fantastic work. Um, I think we should do our best. And I think the, the people that come to the meetings, I mean, we seem to be the most committed. I think if we, I mean, I, I've actually signed up four members in the last few days so I think if everybody if everybody was to go away and make a vow really to sign up at least five before the next meeting yeah because yep. I think because I think we really do need numbers I think the club will only really fear us when when there are when we're in the like the tens of thousands rather than well Ross and Ross has talked to other trusts about membership what drives it is the big issue if you have something fundamental then people people will do it we all discontent and at the moment or a crisis at the moment we don't we have issues we certainly have issues but we don't have i don't think we have a crisis i think as we, as we said i think it's trying to work with other groups get affiliated members a drive from the people here and others to try and bring more members in we have more work to do to get overseas affiliates and n n the first third of this season has really been about about ticketing, about atmosphere and these sorts of issues, our priority will move towards
making us more of a mass movement. Whilst I appreciate what you said, Wayne, about the club fearing us, we don't. I, I know what you mean, and I think everybody in this room knows where you're coming from. But rather than the club fearing us, we want the club to feel that they can work with us, and that's our intention to go forward together. Our position is that we are we are their customers. So they they should be respecting us. They should they should fear losing us as customers. That that's, that should be their fear. No, but we're we're all getting older. We're not going to be around. You know, another it, it, in another twenty years time. You know, I might I might not be here. You know, <laughs> voicing my opinion. No, you never know. Listen, none of us none of us are getting any any younger. So you know. But can I can I can I can I just say one one more thing? Then I'll sit down. Yeah. I mean, I have mentioned this about actively bringing in members in the past. I mean, could we have some sort of show of hands or something from people who would be prepared to say, okay, before the next meeting, I'm going to do my utmost to bring in at least another five members. Can we do that? Okay. Thank you very much. Wayne, Wayne I, I think that is a brilliant point. I don't think there's anybody in the room who would disagree with anything that you said there. What, what I would add to that is that, you know, in the experience I've had way outside of football, things like this always have a problem with engagement. It's, it's quite difficult. You're always going to get a small percentage of people who are really committed and hardcore, and, and, and those are the people that are here, basically. But the other thing you've got to take account of is it's a long-term game. You know, we're, we're not here for a week, two weeks, three months. We're here for the, for the, the duration so it's a long-term aim to go and build the membership as much as we can. And I would reiterate, re reiterate what Tim said. We've got a lot more work to do in recruiting members. And it's, I think it's probably the most important focus that we have for the next year. For the first year, we had a huge amount of issues that we had to deal with, which I think actually to, to a large extent we've done quite successfully. But, yeah, growing the membership is absolutely paramount because, you know, kind of finding a line between what you and Dave were saying – what I think we need to do is be credible in terms of the club. And without a huge membership, we won't be. It's interesting because that's... Yeah. If anybody doesn't know me, my name's, my name's Peter from the CSG. Um, the reason, one of the main reasons that the CSG hasn't joined the Chelsea Supporters Trust as a group it's because at the moment we feel there's uh, more clout. There's more clout going to the club yeah. as, as a group of people as opposed to one group of people. Does that make sense? Yeah. yeah. Um, it doesn't mean that we don't disagree with anything that the trust is doing. In fact, Tim mentioned it earlier that we both wrote to the FA this week and got the same response back. So we are all heading in the same direction. Um, I personally joined the trust because I think it's important that everybody tries to do as much as they can as supporters. When you follow a big team like Chelsea, one of the most frustrating things is not being able to get a ticket for the match, especially when it's away and not live on TV in the UK. What can you do? Get updates from your mates? Follow online commentary? Listen to the radio? Let's face it, it's not the same as actually watching the match live, is it? NordVPN have the solution to every football supporter's match day problems when they can't watch the match live. NordVPN allows us to watch any match, even if it's not on live TV here. With just one click, 
they switch your virtual location to a country which is showing the match, and they act as your cyber bodyguard whilst online, protecting your personal data and sensitive info like card details and passwords. It's only the price of a cup of coffee per month, and you can use your account across six devices. It's a bargain. To get the best discount off your NordVPN plan, go to nordvpn.com forward slash Chelsea Fancast. There's no risk with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee, and you'll help support the Chelsea Fancast. The link is in the podcast episode description box. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. You in? Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. To get the, 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 you know, what you guys are trying to put across, yeah. which is right. And, uh, and there may be a time in the future when not just, uh, not just the CSG, but maybe people like the, um, the other Chelsea supporters groups that, that are out there, um, you know, all want to come together and think, well, maybe it, it, this is the time now where we should join as a big, as, as one, one group. And, and we can go and attack, or not attack the fellas, the wrong word, but, but, but have, <laughs> but, you need the but, but have, but have, have, yeah, but have the, you know, that clout that yep. you will need to go in and get some of the things that we think we deserve. I mean, but let's not get this wrong. I mean, I was at a fans forum meeting today and, you know, it's not all bad news out there. No. You know, I mean, there's some of the things that the club are doing, which you'll see in the minutes when they come out, which will reflect on some of the things that Tim's brought up tonight. And you'll see that they, you know, they are trying to do things, you know, that what we want them to do. Not just us, but what all supporters want us to do. You know, and so, you know, just bear that in mind. That's all I really want to no, say. Thank you, thank you, Peter. And I think it would be fair, it would be fair to say that most of the Trust Board have a good ongoing relationship with members, the sort of leading members of the, of the CSG. There's no animosity between the, between the groups. I think the other point, we talk about, talk about credibility we talk about credibility it is about members it's also about getting the message out there and I think in terms of the work that David's done in building our reputation with the press and our contacts with the press when the survey results went out he sent a release to 60 different journalists all of whom we have dealt with in the last year that's that's the work that this man Dave Chichi has done so that type of thing does build our credibility I agree we need more members we shouldn't underestimate the work that's been done in terms of building our reputation in the media. Indeed. Right. Any more questions before we move on to the next item? Sorry, gentlemen. Yeah. We've got about another... I'm just conscious of time. We've got about another five, five minutes of questions. Yeah, I, I just wanted to check up about the future of Stamford Bridge, and I was wondering if the club was uh, considering... Um, Visiting supporters in the future, their varying allocations for different competitions, uh, where they're going to cite them, uh, and and also uh, any future designs which can hopefully keep uh, restricted view seats down to a minimum, because uh, it's uh, I think it's been a problem I- in the recent past, and uh, hopefully uh, a rebuild will address those. Issues. I think David will handle this. I think it's safe to say that if Stanford Bridge is redeveloped, all these uh, issues will be taken uh, into consideration. And uh, should they decide to redevelop Stanford Bridge, we'll have the best stadium in the United Kingdom as befits the best team and the best supporters. 
question over, was it over here and then, o then over there? Yeah. Thank you. All right, Ramsey again. Um, quick question. You talked about engaging with other trusts. Yeah. Um, you mentioned Premier yep. Trusts. It, are we engaging with, I mean, there's 92 clubs in the league, obviously. Yes. Uh, and that's, that's question number one. Number two is, do Crystal Palace have a trust? And can you find out how they're allowed to have a section where people seem to stand without getting hassled, whereas we have all the hassle in yeah, the, right. the Matty Hardy to take, to take both those points, yes, there are, there are trusts at a number of other clubs outside the Premier League. We do go to an annual conference where we do meet them, and that's going from teams like Dulwich Hamlet right through the pyramid to sort of Chelsea, Arsenal, Man United. So we do meet with them. There are common issues... But there are different issues. And one of my concerns has been that, you know, you don't want to get into a one-size-fits-all because they certainly they, they have different issues. And, you know, clubs like Portsmouth, Wrexham, the supporters actually own, own the club. That's never going to, you know, that's not going to happen. Realistic, let's be realistic, it's not going to happen here. In terms of Crystal Palace, they do have a trust. I'm not sure how they get away with it, but they do. And it's clearly, it's to do, right, As, as with all, as with all uh, football clubs, uh, safe standing or, or the lack of safe standing, i.e., standing um, at, at grounds with you know without without railing and, and, and as they currently sit up, set up, it, it's all about uh, licensing issues um, <coughs> and um, uh, w you know with uh, with the agreement of the local council whether or not you can you can stand in the areas. It's not technically illegal to do so, and it's up to the clubs to enforce. So that there's as at Stamford Bridge, there's a, there's an ongoing sort of battle between both sides in terms of whether you know whether the council tries to put pressure on as we saw last year with um with the Matthew Harding lower and supporters being uh sent letters about about persistent standing so it's the way in which the club and the local council interact um in terms of policing their own supporters stand corrected but I will ask the question and just on that point about um, people getting rejected or letters from uh, Stanford Bridge do you know that in this season has been rejected for persistent standing has been a policy change ok thank you David uh, sorry Cliff I just add to that that, that that thankfully what Dave has, has said about the policy change at Stanford Bridge um, is good news because Chelsea have been the worst in London for this sort of thing. Um, Tottenham, Arsenal, West Ham, they've sort of decided over the last few seasons to practically turn a blind eye to, to persistent standing. Not that they condone it in any way, but they just don't. They're not as zealous as, as the stewards are at Chelsea. But as David said, there's a sea change this year and hopefully it will continue. And hopefully the security staff at the top at Stamford Bridge will keep implementing that. that Blind eye policy. Okay, right. Just going back to the um, possible Stamford Bridge re redevelopment. Um, does the tr I know I know that we're still waiting for the initial reports back from from the possible you know from the from the people that they've um, people they've commissioned to do the to, to do the review. Is the trust? Working or planning to, to work with the local community if it looks as if a Stanford Bridge redevelopment could happen. And then, secondly, maybe this is to David: Are we going to maybe do a similar thing for Twickenham if we get the if we if we're looking to go there on a sort of temporary basis? 
Well, Commissioner, you, you, you're saying yourself that um, there already is op opposition to, to within that within that area about Vince Cable, but also I know there's a lot of councillors that are looking to say, no, 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 we don't, we, we don't want a football club at all um, because because of all the you know all the problems that, that I mean they're actually thinking about football crowds being troublesome. Is is there is there anything that we're planning to do to try and persuade them otherwise? As a Twickenham, as a Twickenham resident, I've been thinking about starting a petition to get Chelsea to Stanford Bridge. <laughs> I'd have to roll out of bed at ten to three on a three o'clock Saturday afternoon kickoff, and it'd be fantastic. All back to mine and Tim Rolls, who only lives down the road, for a cup of tea after the game. So it'd be fantastic. <laughs> A comment rather than a question on the back of all the atmosphere and Jose stuff. Uh, I'm in the Matthew Harding Lower Block 13. For the first time today, for as long as I can ever remember, the stewards made no effort to get us to sit down. Really? First time. Well, maybe progress. I'm, yeah. I'm interested. You go everywhere. Yeah. Do you think that's a good thing or a bad thing? Oh, absolutely. But it's the first time yeah. ever at a home yeah. match. They made no effort from the first minute. Yeah. Okay. So something's happened. Yeah, that's good. Okay. Yeah, that's, that's interesting. Right. We... We, right. really, we need to move on, but Charles and then Ross have got a quick point, but then we do yeah. need to move on. I, I, was I, I was just going to observe that one of, one of the um, good parts about Chelsea being a later potential adopter reconstructing Stanford Bridge or whatever stadium is to learn the lessons. And whether you go to Twickenham or not as a short-term measure, it's the possibility of learning the lessons from things that have gone wrong at places like Arsenal, etc., but equally to experiment in a, in a somewhat a bigger stadium, even if you use just the lower tier of Twickenham or, or wherever, or for different games, of what can work and what can't work. And one of the things might be, and the issue I know from a lot of mates of mine who are Arsenal fans, is about whether they were collectively together or repositioned and all those sorts of issues can be actively yep. considered. No, I agree. I agree. There are lessons to be learned. We, you know, when we visit stadiums, there are some things we see that are good, some are bad. I'm sure we will work. You know, we would like to work with the club in terms of making sure we learn the good things that have been done at other grounds and the things that haven't worked. Ross, final. Uh, final yeah, point. I just wanted to address the point about Twickenham. Uh, being a, a fellow resident like uh, <laughs> like DJ. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, the local residents' objection isn't actually about football supporters per se. I mean, I mean, rugby fans, are, are, in my opinion, are, are just as bad. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, when it comes to when it comes to drinking in the area, it's actually about congestion and traffic and the fact that there would be what twenty to thirty extra games a season, and the local, you know, there, there's not a major really. The, the road network isn't great, so and they shut it down for e for each game. So it's not actually about the reputation of football sports. I was actually surprised myself to learn that uh, but it, it's actually about it's actually about traffic and, and travel we don't want to get ahead of ourselves we don't know what the club announcement will be but I think we just need to be able to respond right if there are if people have got individual questions I think most of the board members will be hanging around afterwards very happy to talk to people individually on, on, on individual issues I would like to move on we've got two more issues we're going to talk about the Christmas party then we're going to have Rick's Q&A so we've got Theresa and Neil I don't know who's going to cover yeah yeah Right, so um, Christmas is fast approaching over the horizon, and this year's Christmas party will be held at the Chelsea Pensioner 
on Thursday the 18th of December from 7pm. And this year, entry will be free to voting members. Um, there's going to be live music from The Beautiful Game. There'll be free nibbles, including pizza, sausage rolls, scotch eggs. There will be a raffle with unique memorabilia. And when I say unique, there's some really, really good stuff that we've accumulated. It's going to be a late license. For those of you who are slightly hungrier, you can get pie and mash for a fiver. But the numbers are limited. We do have a limited capacity. So uh, in order to reserve a ticket, you need to email membership at chelseasupporterstrust.com. Um, all the details are in the leaflets that are scattered about the room. Or you could go to the website uh, where you can get full details. If you're not a full voting member, all you have to do is join up. So Fiverr, you get your free pin and um, then you get into the party. And we look forward to seeing as many of you as possible on the 18th of December. Thank you very much. Okay. Okay, right. We're now going to... If you've got to come, I'll, I'll, I'll move out of the way. You, you come here and sit next to Chidge. Uh, 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 right, questions. I, I assume most of you know or know of who Rick Mander is. This will be a historian. So it'd be really churlish not to have them. Oh, where's um, the mic gone? Uh, I gave it to you. The, there. You didn't give it to me. Do do do. Yeah. Um, I, I tell you what would be nice. Maybe we have a. I mean, I don't know how Rick feels about this, but I mean, maybe we have a couple from the floor to kick us Definite, off. Definitely. Definitely. First of all, I want to say what a pleasure it is to be here. It's. Uh, and on, I'm really happy to answer all your questions. What I will say is that um, it's not like Mastermind, please. <laughs> I've started, so I'll finish. <laughs> the the um, the job of being the club historian is more about research than memory. Um, but what if you do have questions that you've always wanted to have answered about the club, the club's history, um, either I'll note them down and get back to you if you give me an email address or I'll try and answer them as best I can uh, tonight. But some of the ones, lots of people did actually put forward questions in advance, there didn't are they? Some brilliant. I mean, if, if anybody, anybody's got a burning question to ask now, we'll start with that. But if you haven't, I've got loads here. I can kick off with this and then while you're thinking about it, just let me know. Right, Wayne, funnily enough, has got a question for you. Rick. We'll have to give you a prize, I think, Wayne. <laughs> Can I just say something about uh, 
Wayne, uh, Wayne and I go back much longer than we realised because Wayne was a music promoter and importer when I was a music journalist. This is back in the uh, mid to late 80s. Um, Wayne was importing African music and I was writing about it and, and things. And um, about 10 years later, we were walking down the Fulham Road. Uh, w I was walking down the Fulham Road and I bumped into him every other Saturday, yeah. Meet your mates, have a drink, have a moan. And I said, I said Wayne, what are, you, what are you doing on Fulham Road on a, on a match day? Uh, he said, I'm a Chelsea supporter. I said, so am I. We had no idea. We'd known each other for about 10 years. We didn't realise we were Chelsea fans. I think that tells you a little bit about uh, the kind of club we were in the mid-80s. How it was, we weren't the most popular club. And sometimes in certain circles, you wouldn't say you were a Chelsea fan because you'd get stigmatised. So you just keep it quiet and you'd stick with your mates and um, tell them about it. Anyway, Wayne. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that, that, thanks for that. Thank, thanks for that, Rick. I've, I've forgotten what the question is now. <laughs> oh, what, what I was That's why I'm here, <laughs> to silence Wayne Croxford. <laughs> what? What I, what I was going to ask, uh, going back to the crowd atmosphere, um, you being the Chelsea historian, um, what what would you kn what do you know of what atmos the atmosphere was like back in the sort of forties and fifties, and when when did singing sort of start really in in English stadiums? Whoever it was said he's not that old. Thank you very much. <laughs> but what I would say is I do an awful lot of research on this sort of topic. And one of the things that I find really interesting is that uh, lots of clubs, not just Chelsea, but clubs have a culture that is inherited. It's passed down through the supporters. And um, it can change over decades. But fundamentally, I think lots of things continue. There are, you know, the anomalies might be uh, for a few years and then you get back to your normal setting. And... Uh, the crowd at Stamford Bridge from 1905 right up to 1952 was <laughs> fair, I think is the, um, the best way to say it. We were renowned for being appreciative of other clubs' play. So when they did something nice, even if they scored a goal, we would appreciate it. We'd clap them. And in fact, we know this because it's reported Every visiting club loved coming to Stamford Bridge. It was a great ground, big ground, everything, big crowds. But Ted Drake in 1952, in the first programme of the season, said, he actually said to Chelsea fans, you're too quiet, you're not partisan enough, you're appreciative of other, other clubs too much. I want more people uh, screaming and shouting, uh, living, I think he said something like, uh, living, breathing uh, Chelsea Football Club. And he was exhorting the Chelsea fans to be louder, more raucous. Well, I think in the 60s, he probably appreciated <laughs> that that had worked because, you know, when I first started coming in the mid-60s, it was much louder, I think, than I'd, I wasn't there in the, the 50s, but I think it, it was a loud place. But having said that, 
all of us that went regularly in the 70s and maybe less in the 80s when we would you know we felt we needed to contribute more it was dependent we were a walk up club you know we would get sometimes a big crowd and we'd be all noisy other times we maybe not quite fancy it and you know the noise wasn't quite there i think when we were when we were most needed that's when we turned up and i think that's the issue that possibly we have now where we're not spare parts but the uh, the team are doing so well that they don't really need our our sort of vocal support to get them galvanized when it was you know fillery and langley and people like that you sort of felt well come on we might actually sort of uh, cheer a corner in and against liverpool or something you know that's not quite the c we don't <laughs> we, d we don't feel the, the case now i think also there's when the uh the match day experience has changed it was very much that you went out, you did, you know, we, we were saying about this, someone quoted the Suggs song, meet your mates and have a drink, have a moan and start to think. That was the Chelsea experience for a long time when we didn't have year-on-year -year success. You know, well, we had decades without success. And I think um, that became, what became important then was the chanting, was the atmosphere, was the, the fact that you're all mates Lots of us were all young then and all to we were all able to stand together where we fancied. You'd congregate with the singers uh, and you'd, you'd give it a right good go because that, that was more fun than the football that you were watching. Win or lose, we're on the booze. Uh, absolutely. And, you know, Boys in Blue in Division 2, that whole thing. Uh, yeah. And you, you had, I think, that. And you see, I think Crystal Palace is a good example of... Uh, you, uh, you know, I don't like Palace, but I certainly don't like going there. I can never find it half the time. <laughs> <laughs> but I think you can see something in the way that they are now as a support base with their young men in the Holmesdale end. They've been down. They've had bad times. The match day experience, uh, probably a tic good ticketing policy that has allowed lots of younger people to go in there. And I think it's created a kind of, we'll have our own fun, forget what the football is about, we're going to have a really good day of it. And they go there and they, I mean, it's a, it's a bit phony, all the ultra stuff that they do, but they do, they do they kick up rumpus. Go, they, they? they kick up rumpus. So sometimes, you know, it's about you feeling you're making a contribution. You're really sort of, you know, driving the team on to, to better things or that you're just having a really good day out. You're escaping from all the everyday drudgery. Funnily enough, Rick, I've got I've got a really good follow-up question to that in a way because there's there's one that somebody emailed in. I think it says, "What is the oldest song that Chelsea supporters still sing regularly?" And the guy or the the lady who sent it in says, "I think it's the Tommy Baldwin song, but my friend thinks it's the Hey Jude one <laughs> or Zigga Zagger." Well, this is a classic example of me. I could pretend that I remember this. <laughs> could have a vote on it if you'd prefer. <laughs> well, it wasn't a coincidence that Tommy Baldwin was there just, today. Yeah, yeah. That was quite nice. Uh, I, I almost sort of felt like, you know, asking him uh, how long it took him to establish himself in the Chelsea psyche so that we sang his name. And he signed in 66. Mm. And uh, it, so it was a great question. And this is, the, to be honest, this is a question that... I love spending time on because <laughs> it's not really work. But um, <laughs> so there are, 
Someone said about Zigazagger as well was an alternative, I think, wasn't it? Well, I mean, basically, yeah. The, what, you, was you, the, you, what was the oldest song that's still sung regularly? He thinks it's Tommy Baldwin, but the, his friend thinks it's either Hey Jude, you know, la, 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 or Zigazagger. Well, the, the, the timeline is that uh, Hey Jude was released in 68. It's a possibility. Yeah. Zigazagger the play, uh, Tursen's play that was done at the Cochrane Theatre, that was done in '67. That was about Stoke fans. Tursen was he was a young kind of. Uh <laughs> Sorry, Dave's Dave's tripping over bags and scaring me a bit. But um, it w that was about Stoke City fans who sang Zigazaga. The lead the lead character of the play Zigazaga is called Zigazaga. Right. Now I don't know whether Greenaway had seen that or whether he you know or whether it was some people say it was a rugby uh chant that had that had existed before then. But we're talking about sixty seven when the play came out and it was associated with Stoke fans. He picked it up from 66 because he'd been to some Stoke matches, so it was already being sung in grounds then. Chances are, I think that is probably the oldest one. I don't think Baldwin, Zigazaga, I don't think Baldwin would... Yeah. Right, I've yeah. got... A, uh, well, hang on, hang on. Because Dave, Dave has got inside... Dave's got inside track on show tunes here. He's got he's got showbiz connections. Just on the, this I, I'll only listen to him if he does a high kick first. Strolling. Who sings strolling now though? Strolling strolling was definitely predates that. If you're talking about the earliest earliest actual songs that were sung at Stamford Bridge, everyone I sp I, I speak to lots of older supporters, um, and they say that really. There wasn't group singing, as we understand it, too much pre-war. Strolling was really, I think, uh, uh, either late 30s or 40s, and then it was popularised by uh, Flanagan and Allen did it, who I think play for Liverpool these days. So they've been around some time. <laughs> oh, I think Dave Dave has some... Just on the, uh, just a, a little bit of trivia for you on the... Um the Zigger Zagger um, play that um, Rick mentioned. Peter Turson's play. Yeah. I've got the book at home, and it's interesting to note that in the forward, um, Bill Kenwright, the Everton. Everton chairman, it actually says, and I can't, you know, I haven't got the book here, I can't quote verbatim, but it says that Bill Kenwright, um, a diehard Liverpool supporter. No. <laughs> T hang on, he turned up at an audition for the play Zigger Zagger and sang You'll Never Walk Alone. Fantastic. Uh, All right. We did, well, then actually, that's a very good point. I think probably before high school, Liz is saying that we, we used to sing uh, When Liverpool Came. It was almost like kind of trying to outdo them in the You'll Never Walk Alone, hold the scarves up. And seeing you'll never walk alone better than Liverpool. Well, we'll show them. Wasn't, wasn't it true, though, Rick? That I, I mean, I, mm. I wasn't there. 
there, sadly. But in the 60s and, and the early 70s, a lot of clubs sang it. You'll never walk alone. I know every club that went Liverpool and well Celtic as well sang it themselves. And I but we, there, Neil, I don't know. But, but we we the yeah, we definitely. We, well, it's from um, it's a Carousel. Show it's a show from tune, Carousel. Right? It is a show tune. <laughs> Uh, Dave's going to do some show tunes later well, if you stick around. Right. You don't have to pay, it's all right. <laughs> no, he'll pay you. But <laughs> the uh, uh, but very definitely, that used to be a thing, that when Liverpool came, particularly for a club like Chelsea, who were relative, they were a very successful club, yeah. and we tried to kind of outdo them on the pitch, which we regularly did, mm. and on the terraces as well. But I think Heysel probably killed that. I think after that, I think people probably felt there's no... Yeah kind of brotherhood in you'll never walk alone that's that's my view you can walk alone I think is probably how yeah, yeah yeah walk, walk alone around the back of the north all right have, uh, any other questions from the floor I was just going to say um, the one I remember because I started going in 66 yeah I can't remember but what was popular amongst Chelsea fans and I think most supporters was you we should not be moved. Yes. Yes. That was that was the other Actually one that, that that's think of. you don't hear that yeah. so much now, do you? S- you do sometimes very occasionally. So it's one of those moment chants, isn't it, where yeah. you don't sing it until you're sort of five minutes to go in a semi final yeah. or and it, and you you get that kind of thing where if people start to try and do it too early, everyone says, Shut up, you'll jinx it. <laughs> It's a very good point. That's the one I can remember. uh, I can remember uh, that season Chelsea beat Liverpool and uh, 4-2 and then um, subsequently um, got knocked out in the replay. Orient, wasn't it? it? Got knocked out by Orient midweek replay and the following Saturday, by uh, coincidence, Chelsea played Liverpool in the league and... uh, the uh, second line to We Shall Not Be Moved that we used to sing at Stanford Bridge was just like a team who's going to win the FA Cup. <laughs> and um, uh, they, they, pl- they played that. Uh, they sung it in the shed against Liverpool when we beat them 3-1 the following week. And uh, I've never heard so much derision <laughs> in all my life. Shut up! <laughs> Shut up! <laughs> All right, have we got have we got any have we got any other questions from the floor? Just just wave at me or something, Pete. Can I ask you to stand up? I can't see you. <laughs> we we love Peter. Peter oh, is one of my favourite Chelsea fans. Yes. Can I ask a serious question? When we, when did you first get, and I use the term very loosely, employed by Chelsea Football Club? Oh, no, it is a good question. 1993. And how did you get employed? There was I was working at the Guardian at the time. I was a back then. I was a professional journalist, <laughs> um, and uh, I had some spare time on my hands, and I wrote to Neil Barnett because I used to get the Onside or what was it called? Chelsea News or something? Bridge News, that's it, thank you. And um, I used to read the programme, which w- was done by an agency at the time. And uh, 
I did. I thought we were being undersold a bit. I didn't feel like I was being spoken to by s supporters. And uh, so I wrote to Neil and I said, "Look, I'm." I mean, it was a bit uh, cocksure, really. I said, "Look, I'm working for the Guardian. I've got some spare time. Do you need any proper Chelsea writers to come and interview the players and write about the history and things like that?" And and he rang me up and said, "Yeah, come down to the training ground, and um, and uh, you know we'll have a chat." So I came down there, and it it was that summer that that really. You know, lots of people, t all these uh, other fans talk about how Chelsea's only existed since 2004, uh, they say, 2003-2004. But actually, that revolution, Abramovich accelerated things. He put the, you know, he, he made it happen much faster than it would have done. But the real revolution at Chelsea Football Club happened in 1993-94. That was when we turned from being a club that was looking backwards, worried about whether we still had a ground, wor worried whether we uh, could attract players. That's when we started to look forward, when we started to have ambition, when we started to have ideas. And one of the biggest, the best, probably the best thing that Ken Bates ever did was to get Glenn Hoddle in, I think. Yeah. And, um, and the second best thing was getting me in at the same time. <laughs> Brilliant. Brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> well, of course, I Josh. But um, it was a, a it was a, an illuminating time because when you see now, if you, I don't know the figures, but you look at the communications department at, at Chelsea now. Uh, you look at the number of people that work on the program and everything like that. Really, there was Neil Barnett, me, and a couple of other people that were doing all of the publications. Uh, and interviewing all the players, and you had no, you know, Harlington, if any of you went down to Harlington, the old training ground, well, all I can say is QPR deserve it. <laughs> <Brilliant>. <laughs> it was constantly windswept, always seemed to be raining. There were trees surrounding it. They did offered no protection whatsoever. Uh, the pitches were terrible. I can remember Glenn Hoddle, trying to negotiate, uh, I should explain, sorry. It was shared with students, the Imperial uh, College. So we kind of, we had, a, uh, we had an agreement with them. But on a Wednesday, when, which was there t the, the time that the students had uh, precedence over that, I remember I was sitting down and interviewing Marcel Desailly on this, there was mud everywhere and freezing cold, no heating. I was sitting down there. Marcel's talking to me, getting dressed. And some spotty student sits down next to us and picks up Marcel's bag and his suit and just throws it <laughs> over to the side like that because the students had precedence on a Wednesday. But anyway, prior to that, there was one telephone in the whole of that, the complex at Harlington. And it was a payphone. And if any of you were students or lived in squats or anything like that, what do people do with a payphone? They break the cash box out so that you can keep putting a 10 pence piece through again and again. That was what was happening at Harlington. That was Chelsea in 1993-94. The best moment I ever saw as far as poor Glenn Huddle. You know, he, this is a man who's trying to attract 
for the first time in several years, probably, well, let's think about it, apart from Townsend and, and Wise, really, <laughs> uh, you know, he, he was trying to attract really much bigger names. And he was having to negotiate at Harlington using a student payphone with a box taken out. Now, in the it was in a hallway as well, a windswept hallway. There were, you know, those kind of, you know, when you get a football boot and you bash it on the on the ground and it's got the stud holes in it. There was that was littered. the The floor was littered with all of these bits of mud from football boots. Glenn puts he's talking to some. I, I happened to be, I think, it was interviewing Andy Myers or whoever it was, you know, uh, next next to him. Glenn huddles. Some, he puts his ten pence piece into the into the box, and he's talking, and I'm kind of, you know, keeping a weather eye on it, I ear rather on it. And the suddenly, I, oh God, the pips have gone. You know, that's one for the teenagers, isn't it? The pips going. <laughs> and the, he looks down. He's ferreting around in the box. The ten pence piece has disappeared. It's gone straight through. And it's in amongst the mud on the floor <laughs> <laughs> in this corridor. And, of course, he can't find it. So he slams the phone. Oh, fuck it. It's ridiculous. So soon after that, a purpose-built telephone line was put into Harlington. That was the one of the first of the great reforms that Glenn <laughs> Huddle brought to Chelsea Football is Club. So is that, is that single-handedly responsible for Chelsea's success subsequently? <laughs> you know. Well, I mean, what I would say is that, um, you know, some people in history are destined to... They're, they're not the ones that see through something. They're the ones that, that start the voyage. And he very much did that. It was a massive difference. Chelsea in 1993... I used to go into, you, you know, you used to, not like nowadays, you used to be able to approach players all the time and just go and talk to them, sit down and, and chat to them while they're having lunch or whatever. Um, but in, uh, in 1993, you had groups that very, very much didn't talk to each other. They would they'd do training, you'd get some of the uh, Scandinavian players would sit down maybe and chat to each other. The English players would all go off and talk to their uh, the business associates like um, what's Eric Hall and people like that. And it was real schisms all over there. And Hoddle said, this can't go on. He said, we have to have proper nutrition here because that was the other thing. There was no lunch being prepared for them. They have to have proper nutrition the tables as well were all uh, were all um, pods, pod tables, and people would just sit on their own. The same people sat with each other again and again. He said, "No, we're going to have like long refectory type t tables, and everyone has to stay for lunch." That was a big thing because it broke up all the little cliques, and it made them feel much more together and much. Uh, also, it provided them with better nutrition. They were all probably going off to. Uh, what did he call it? Refuel, I think. Uh, <laughs> exactly, where you know, sticky toffee pudding, which was very nice, but not ideal for a professional footballer. So I think, uh, you know, uh, Hoddle w started it. He couldn't see it any further. I think it was right that he went when he did. Hullet was the, the better, 
uh, it but took it, it onto us. Absolutely, he was. Listen, I've got I've got a crack here. I'll just be scanning down the the old list. Here's a good one. Uh, the 1966 FA Cup semi-final kit versus Sheffield Wednesday was mm. a striped shirt, the blue and black one. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, apparently never worn before or since. Was it an Inter Milan copy? And if so, why? Yes, it was. Um, I've spoken to Tommy Doherty about this. Uh, those of you who look into the photographs of Chelsea uh, kits in the 1960s, you'll <laughs> some of us are a bit more obsessed than others, but <laughs> but you'll notice some of the, the training kit. There's some brilliant training kits, for example, that are striped shorts. Um, Oh, <laughs> that's uh, Karim Kassam, my mate Karim. <laughs> well done, Kaz. Get a photo, somebody. <laughs> and put it on the website. And Kaz is actually where he can still get into the shirt he bought in 1966. That's impressive. <laughs> that is impressive. 66, the semi-final. What, what happened... At the pr the practical thing about the uh, the wearing of the shirt was that in the FA Cup in those days, if there was a clash, both teams changed. Mm. Uh, Chelsea, we used to wear a we, uh, people will remember you. We used to wear yellow. Our change strip was yellow, blue, yellow, yeah. and uh, yeah, yeah, and uh, Brazil, John. and we'd only ever won uh, worn sorry uh, striped shirts once before in about the early early thirties. But Tommy Doherty, when he arrived at Chelsea, he he was very ambitious. He was very modernising. Uh, he wanted us to play in all blue because he thought it was it kind of echoed Real Madrid with their all white. He thought it was a modern, dramatic, dynamic thing to do. And uh, although with some of the weirder kits that we wore uh, uh, in the under when he was in charge. Uh, it was basically Umbro coming and saying, we've got this idea, Tommy, what do you reckon? And he would say, well, yeah, 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 all right. Uh, How much are you going to pay me? <laughs> possibly. This one was very much, look, Inter, uh, I think they got to three European Cup finals around this time. So they were the team of the, of the moment. They were the Real Madrid or the Barcelona of the day. And I think Tommy Doherty said that he thought Chelsea should wear the same kit as Inter and that actually if we had won that semi-final it may well have become our our kit full-time well of course we lost it and all the players you talk to the players now the ones who played in in, the, in that semi-final and they all say oh bloody jinx that kit <laughs> really? it's an absolute fact they all say it was a jinx kit and therefore we didn't adopt it but it was Brilliant. Doherty's idea because of into were the big team, and we would have carried on playing in it. Brilliant stuff, Rick. I've got. Well, I think we've got time for a couple. <laughs> we got time for a couple more questions. Can I just say it's nice that Wayne's wearing the 1905 kit. Yeah. I think that's a remodelled one, though. <laughs> Falk's uh, one. Not casting any aspersions <laughs> on Wayne, obviously. <laughs> Much. Right, just a couple of quickies before we wrap up, but this is a cracker, I think. What is the story with the George Hilsden statue? Ah, yes. Was it put up when he was still playing or afterwards? And why him and not any other player from that era? 
Well, um, it's very difficult to tell because I know the location of the, or the o I know who owns the uh, minutes of the board at Chelsea Football Club. They were sold off or they disappeared from the club some time ago. I know who owns them, but he's not granting me rights, <laughs> viewing rights at the moment. That would set the record straight. The fact is we don't actually know whether, first of all, that is George Hilsden's likeness. I, I'm of the view that because everyone thinks it is and has done for you know, several decades, that it is his likeness. Yeah, and the fact is that it's not there in 1908, but it is there. If you look, at, I'm talking about if you research the, the photos, yeah. you look at the photos and you see, because the, 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 um, it appeared on the gable of the East Stand. So if you look at the gable and you look for a 13 foot, that's how tall it was, 13 foot weather vane. And it's not there in 1908, definitely. It's there in 1912, 13. And uh, when this question came up, actually, I was moved to look at an aerial photograph that I have on my wall uh, from 1909. It's a bit grainy, but when I looked very closely, it looked to me as if in 1909 there was a weather vane there. It certainly is an unusual shape, not just like a blotch on the, on the photograph, and it looks like it is there. Uh, funny enough, I don't know if everyone knows this, but the one that is on top of the East Stand currently is a replica. Ken Bates had it made in the 80s because the original one had been lost until two years ago when I tracked it down to a foundry in Surrey. And uh, it's it was left in a shed. <laughs> and um, we <laughs> it was supposed to be renovated and never was. And because, the, you know, I, I don't know if people know about this concept of the the curse of the George Hillsdon weather vane no. and, and in fact there's an article in the Times where Dave Sexton is talking about when the East Stand was being uh, redeveloped uh, Dave Sexton in this article said oh people tell me this is about 1972-73 whatever he's saying people tell me that there's a curse on the weather vane and if it if it uh, that we'll have bad times if it doesn't go back up so we We've got to find out where George Hilston's weather vane is so we can put it back up there. Well, it went missing for about 15 <laughs> years. And if the weird thing is, of course, that if you look from 1974-5 right through to the mid to late 80s, apart from the, the Nevin Dixon Speedy, we were pretty poor. And then the weather vane goes back up, and suddenly we're okay again. Well, there we go. Uh, when I did one last thing on that, on the weather vane, when we found it, uh, when I was looking at it, and it does look like George Hilston, so yes, it is George Hilston. <laughs> it's got a bullet hole in its head. A bullet hole? A bullet hole. It's got a bullet hole through it. Yeah. <laughs> well, there's only one bullet, so I don't know whether it was a Gatling gun, but what I think that is, is it was a First World War firing practice drill, because in World War One, uh, they started firing firing drills and apparently Colin Hampton the goalkeeper could could fit eight shots into a farthing straight off so he was quite a good shot I reckon there were some players or officials out on the pitch and they're thinking oh, I'm fed up of firing at these targets 
looking up at that weather vane and thinking, go on then, who's gonna, who can I hit the weather vane? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Boom, and there it is. But we're trying to buy it from the foundry, but they're not playing ball at the moment. Uh, so why was it? Oh, one last thing, sorry. Uh, in 1908, uh, Football Chat, a London-based football magazine, ran a competition amongst its readers to say, okay, uh, we need to, we think, uh, because George Hilton is such an amazing player at Stamford Bridge, uh, he's, he was our first England international, George Hilton. We need to design a memorial to be put placed at Stamford Bridge to commemorate his brilliance. And the winning entry uh, in 1908 was this kind of Hellenic uh, Greek, you know, sort of classical Greek statue with these sort of women at his feet like this <laughs> and him kicking a ball. Well, funnily enough, that never happened. That, was <laughs> that, that never was there. And I wonder, but I wonder whether it was part of that mood, that spirit to commemorate George Hilsden that meant that when the weather vane did go up, people said, oh, well, he didn't get the statue, but he did get the weather vane. Yeah, Excellent. That was really interesting, Rick. Um, one, uh, well, we've got we've got time for a few more, actually, providing you're all right, Rick. Yeah. 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 Okay. Um, here's a good one. Why is the shed called the shed and not the Fulham Road End or the South Stand? Well, uh, a lot of people probably know this one. That it was Cliff Webb who wrote to the club in uh, the mid '60s to say, "A lot of us call it the shed, so can we not call it the Fulham Road End anymore? Can we call it the shed?" Um, but what I would say is he was reflecting a view that was already there, that people already felt they were standing in the shed. So he, he may have been the one that wrote the letter, but he was just sharing a name that was popular at the time. Funnily enough, yeah, I, I also think there was a little bit of that Liverpool have the cop, uh, Man United have the Stretford end, Da, da, da. We need something that sounds a bit, little bit tastier, mm. <laughs> a little bit more threatening than the Fulham Road end. And <laughs> yeah, exactly. But you, you see, the, the thing with the shed was that um, I looked into when it was being constructed in the 19th, early 30s. And it's interesting that in the correspondence with the authorities, they call it the shed then. Really? Yeah. But I'm not sure whether that's a direct antecedent of everyone calling it the shed it, it was a ridiculous thing it, it it was the wrong angles it didn't cover uh hardly any of the of the terrace it was there purely to accommodate should have been the, called the canopy really well it should yeah the awning the awning maybe the but <laughs> you know come and have a come and have a go if you think you're on yeah, we are the awning we are the awning we are the, it wouldn't work would it <laughs> But so I. <laughs> Fair point. No, no, that's well. That's, it is a good point. the The great thing about that roof was that it did project sound out. Um, but having said that, if it had been complete, if it had gone to both ends and and had size from an acoustic point of view, it would have projected the sound even better. But um, so I. I, I I think uh, I think that I think it was Cliff Webb really that we should say, uh, you know, he was the one who encapsulated it 
for supporters. Once that letter was in there and once it became popularised, you know, that's... that's so I think it was... Uh, was it 66, Tim? You, I think you know, you've seen the... Okay, there you go. September 66, Lift Web. Yeah. Uh, Rick, Rick, it just occurred to me, actually, uh, as I shed up a season ticket holder, and you're talking yeah. about the shed there, mm. and, uh, of course, we know we've got, you know, the Brompton Cemetery behind us, and, and you know, we've been on your tours, and et cetera. We, kn we know uh, the King of Stamford Bridge is there underneath the, uh, the penalty spot at the shed end. I'm just wondering, are you aware of any other sort of, you know, subterranean activities, either either... Close to the pitch, or you know, a little bit further afield. I mean, is is that the only set of it's ashes we have underneath? It's certainly the not the only. No, it's certainly not the only ashes. Uh, I know for uh, I know for a fact that Ken Armstrong, uh, the great player of the 1950s, who emigrated to New Zealand, he died in I think 74, maybe maybe the 80s. I'm not quite sure when it was, but he's. His ashes were repatriated, and it was arranged for them to be sprinkled on the pitch at Stamford Bridge. And um, he was a real great servant, Ken Armstrong. And it is occasionally arranged for uh, supporters to have their ashes scattered at Stamford Bridge. It's not something that the club, uh, I think, promotes, because it does, in a sense, it's a token gesture because the pitch gets renewed every few years and so you know you, it's the ashes aren't really remaining there constantly but obviously it's a symbolic thing and an important thing for the commemoration like no one else is buried at uh, at Stamford Bridge there are no bodies buried at Stamford Bridge yeah right <laughs> <laughs> if, so, if, if, if there are Ron Gawley knows where they are I think <laughs> I think uh, one more question, Tim. Yeah, all right. Uh, this one's kind of especially for me, Neil, and Tim, and probably also Rick, but uh, ha have any Chelsea players also been first-class cricketers? Next question. I'm not answering that one. I don't know the don't answer know, to that. That's the, one, that's the one that I didn't research. Ron Tip, there were about five or six, all right, but I, I didn't... That was a, that's like half a day's, half a day's uh, research. We, we don't have the budget for that. Uh, Next question. <laughs> it's kind of similar, Rick. It's got yeah. cricket in it. But anyway, um, Stamford Bridge used to have greyhound uh, racing yeah. up yeah. to the 60s, and cricket was once played there, which was, I think that was the weird kind of one-day match. Essex. Them, wasn't it? Essex versus the West yeah. Indies, anyway, promoted by Surrey. That's not the question. <laughs> that's a uh, weird one, isn't have it? Have any other major sports events been held there? Yes, loads. Absolutely loads. Um Wow. Motocross. American football, very when good. When was that? When was that? Oh, that was for, that was for a quite, you know, a, a season. Wow. We had American football. Uh, baseball, sorry? Greyhound racing, absolutely, till 68. Uh, yeah, 68. In fact, that was the Greyhound Racing Association ran Stamford Bridge. They owned the stadium. They leased it back to Chelsea. What they said went. Uh, and when they went, there was a certain freedom to do 
what we wanted to do. So when people say that Stanford Bridge has gone to the dogs, they were in fact right. <laughs> they were absolutely right. It provided a lot of employment for the. Uh, it provided a lot of employment for the players as well. Um, but just to reel them off, Highland Games. Highland Where's Marguerite? How about that? Highland Games, rugby internationals. We also had. Uh, I was looking. England Scotland in 1905. One of the first big games that we hosted at Stamford Bridge was the English League versus the Scottish League, and our trainer uh, trained the uh, English side, even though he was Scottish. <laughs> There's one for the, uh, the 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 weird side. Baseball, midget car racing, speedway or dirt track, and I think uh, and even uh, a culture club vid culture club video. Yeah, yeah. And there wasn't that, just as a kind of a slight aside, I, I, I remember I did a, a, a piece with a, a friend of mine about a mod band that played in the mid-80s. Do you remember that? Oh, that, I, that's it. That's yeah, yeah. Well, hold on a minute. Hold the Jam minute. played their first ever London gig no at Stamford Bridge. No, I didn't know. That I didn't know. That So when you said a mod band, that's what I was thinking you were referring to. You remembered who it was. Who was it? Accent. Accent. Yeah. Anyway, I think I think we're pretty much there. Unless you've got anything to add to that. All right. Can I think we should give Rick a massive round of applause? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for all the questions. Really appreciate it. My, my grandfather actually won the police national 100 meters, uh, 100 yards championship at Stamford Bridge in 1921. <laughs> I'd love to find his certificate. My dad thinks it's somewhere in his loft, but we can't find it. But anyway, right, we, we're now sort of at, at the end, basically. I mean, we haven't got any formal, any other business. What I would say, if anyone wants to have their photo taken with the P CPO chair, that, that is over there with, with Ian. Um, and yeah, just all, I'd like to say we, we had 50 people, which I think is pretty good. You know, it's difficult. I think the venue, apart from the cheering and whatever, and the door has actually worked quite well. There's actually worked quite well. We will have another meeting at the mid to mid end of February, depending on fixtures. Saturday, three o'clock seems to work better. We'll have to see what hand we get played. But thank you all very much for coming, and we'll see you all in three months' time. Thank you very much. Thank you. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with three for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. Beyond the pitch, beyond the results, we're here to connect fans, getting them to embrace the highs and lows of supporting your club because we're not just fans, we're a team. With two in three football fans having struggled with their mental health, we understand that life off the pitch can present its own challenges. That's why we're committed to ensuring you have the tools to stay connected with your friends and fellow supporters. Take a moment to connect with your mates. A simple text or an open conversation can make a world of difference. And if they don't respond right away, don't hesitate to follow up. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. It's the 90th minute. All your mates around. You've got your McNuggets share boxes ready to go. Your mates already got booked for double dipping and you steal the last nugget, snatching all three points. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. You in? 
At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com.